this Thursday will be Veterans Day. And, uh, you know, when I think about our veteran, veterans, when I think about our United States military, the, the opening line of that video says, we gather. We, we gather today. You know, I, I got in my car this morning. First thing I thought, man, what a beautiful morning. And, and I drove here and I'm praying about the morning and y'all and myself, just excited, excited for the opportunity to be able to come to this place and gather and just think about the weather and it's a good day or it's a bad day, walk in and we've got lighting and air conditioning and comfort. But you know, I've, I've had another experience with gathering. A couple of years ago, uh, one of our pastors, Wes Rose and I, were in a country that would be called closed, closed to the gospel, closed to Christianity. And we had a chance when we were there to gather with God's people. It took over 30 minutes for everybody to get in the room. You think, man, what a big gathering in a closed country. There's about 12 of us. But we could only go in one or two at a time every three, four, five minutes for fear of life. And nobody was thinking about whether it was a pretty day or not. Nobody was thinking about how comfortable the place was. When we got in, it was kind of dark. It was daytime. The shades were closed. And, and we began to sing. And, and we sang very quietly. What in a volume question. It was just you didn't want to draw any attention to the room. And it was a sweet moment to be able to gather with those believers in worship. But boy, it sure makes you grateful for the United States of America. Where we can freely gather and and I'm thinking about whether the weather's nice or not. And there's no worry and there's no fear and there's no concern. You and I can come into this place and do what we do with such ease and such comfort and with little to no thought because of the Constitution of the United States of America. And, you know, there's a number of moving parts to the Constitution of the United States of America. One of those parts is the protection of that against foreign domestic foreign and domestic enemies. And we have a United States military that protects that constitution, that defends and advances that constitution. Less than 1% of Americans will ever put on that uniform. And boy, they'll put it on and they'll do a hundred different things. Some of it will do it at ease and some in great stress. Some in here in America and some in foreign lands. They'll do it in all kinds of places under all kinds of situations. But they, they do that. They do what 99 point percent of us never do. And while we gather to exalt but one, the Lord Jesus Christ, we don't gather to exalt people and we don't gather to exalt nations. We gather to point to Christ but when you and I can do that with such ease, we can certainly acknowledge those who've played a little bit of role in there being such an ease for us doing that. Amen. And so we certainly on this week that we'll be celebrating Veterans Day want to acknowledge our veterans. If you uh, served in the United States military, would you stand up uh, around our, our sanctuary here and stay standing? And uh, while you're standing, I'm starting to learn about this. Not only do they serve, but their families sometimes under great stress watch them serve. And so if you're a family with one of our veterans, would you stand with them and let us acknowledge you? Yep. 
All righty. Would you remain standing and let's have a word of prayer as we continue in this time of worship. Father, we come before you today and we are grateful for our nation. Oh, it has challenges, it has problems, it has things that make us very nervous. But there's still some great goods that make up this land. And for the moment, Lord, the freedom to gather and worship. Lord, I thank you for these that are standing, their families with them, that have paid some level of price to protect that freedom. To give me the ability to get in my car, and the only thing I'm thinking about is the nice weather. Thank you for that, Lord. Lord, whatever these standing have paid in their service, whatever they've lost because of their service, I pray you'd, I pray you'd bless them and, and give that back to them many times over, Lord. I pray they know the acknowledgement and the appreciation of their church, their friends and family in this nation. We thank you for them and we pray your blessing on them. And Lord, as I said a moment ago, we don't, we don't pause to elevate them. We pause to elevate you, to exalt you and to lift you up. And I thank you that in freedom we came here today to worship you, to worship you in song, to worship you in our devotion and attention to scriptures, to worship you in our love and our care for one another. Lord, to worship you in an act of giving, not a tax we pay, not a payment trying to buy your favor, but an act of love where we get to join you and through our giving, Lord, do things that count forever. Lord, as I pray, you bless our offering. And many of us, it, we're not giving in this moment. We gave electronically. It's already happened. But Lord, in this moment, symbolically, we pause to worship you through the act of giving. And as we think on what we give to you and ask your blessings on that, we thank you for these that are standing and what they gave to this nation. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? For the Gentiles seek after these things and your heavenly father knows what you need. But seek his kingdom first and his righteousness, and they will be added to you. Church, let's read this together. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. 
is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation. Our God is a God of covenants, a God of faithfulness. You'll learn a new song this morning.
Not so long ago, in a barn in Bethlehem, God became flesh and blood and infant son. Jesus Christ, God with us, was born into a family and woven into the fabric of humanity. His family tree is full of colorful characters, just like our own family trees. Some are beautiful and some broken, yet all these branches were used to bring us to the moment when heaven touched earth and began to stitch us into the story. Each generation declares to the next the wonders of God at Christmas. Each one of us can be woven into God's family tree and know this Jesus, Son of Man and Son of God. Come, join the tradition and hear the story again. Well, and good morning again. Good to see everybody here today. I want to thank the choir and orchestra for wearing all maroon. I assume that was because A&M won the Alabama State Championship last night. We, we've rolled through everything Alabama has, so I, we'll move on to another state now. <laughs> Actually, I thought they'd be wearing uh, Christmas stuff because we're starting Christmas here at the Heights today. Today, I, I start a Christmas series. I can't believe, you know, I honestly can't believe I'm doing that. I love Christmas. It's my, fav- my favorite holiday. Probably doesn't make me very unique or rare. But boy, right with Christmas, I love Thanksgiving. And the way we do Christmas in America, Thanksgiving can get lost in that a lot. And I think Thanksgiving is an awesome, awesome holiday. I don't want to take anything away from it. And here I am starting a Christmas series three weeks before we even get to Thanksgiving. What am I doing? Well, let me tell you what I'm not doing. I'm not, I'm not doing this because I think we need a little Christmas. I'm not doing this because I think I'm trying to keep up with retail American Christmas. I am doing this because I think we need to be more certain than ever before of what we've been taught, of, of what we believe. You know, when I approach a Christmas series, you know, you kind of look at the calendar and where you're going to put something. And here at the Heights, historically, we do, one of the times we do the Lord's Supper is the Sunday after Thanksgiving. And we'll be doing that this year. Uh, we'll, we'll be have, having communion, Lord's Supper. If you're wondering when we'll do that or when we're doing it next, uh, Sunday after Thanksgiving, you need to be here. So then that usually puts me into December before I start a Christmas series. And at that point, there's like three or four Sundays, depending on how the the days are falling. I don't have a lot of Sundays to work with. And so I'm usually kind of just picking something out of the Christmas story. Uh, I mean, when you look at what God's given us in Matthew 1 and 2 and Luke 1 and 2, there's a lot there. I think more than you could accomplish in just three or four Sundays. So I've always steered away from that. And I don't know if it's because I'm getting older and I'm starting to measure my ministry. And I've thought, man, I've never preached through the entire Christmas story. So this year I thought, why not? I'm just going to count how many Sundays it's going to take. And I'm going to back up and start there minus the Sunday after Thanksgiving. And, and that lands us on today. And I picked Luke because Luke has an expressed purpose of helping you and I be certain. Certain of what we have been taught, certain 
of what we believe. So that's why we are spending Christmas at Luke's. Uh, now, that, that Luke making us certain of what we believe. Believe can be a very, a very religious word. We're going to use that word a lot in church. But you know, in America, we're going to use that word a lot in the next two months. Think about it. We're going we're gonna to watch some movies. We're going to see some commercials. We may get a card or two that encourages you and I to just believe. There's just something special about believing right now. Believe in Santa. Believe in humanity. Believe in the Christmas spirit, whatever that is. Just believe. And this belief that they want us to have is interesting because, you know, our culture is very scientific and about truth and data, and that's why they have a problem with us. But this belief that they will want in all the movies and cards and commercials is completely divorced from any kind of reality, any, any kind of truth. It's not a belief that will help you accomplish anything. It's just a belief that gives you a warm, traditional Christmas, I think. I'm not sure. I don't even know what that belief does. But you know, we hear the word belief and we just assume that must always be related to God. I want to assure you the belief that the movies are going to encourage you to have this year is not a, it's not a belief that the Bible talks about. It's not a belief that comes out of Christianity. As a matter of fact, when we look at the opening verses of Luke, he's going to make that very clear. This is not about warm sentimentality and traditions. This is about truth. This is about reality. This is about what has happened. That's what we're anchoring our belief, our faith to. So let's look at that today. Turn with me to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Get it good and marked in your Bible. We're going to be there till the end of the year. We'll be turning there uh, a lot of Sundays here to come. Luke chapter 1, it's Matthew and Mark to the left of it, John and Acts to the right, if you're thumbing through there. Luke chapter 1, we're just covering four verses today. Verse, chapter 1, verse 1. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished. Okay, right away, he's setting this apart. You know, this isn't about believing in something, because that's what we religious people do. Got to believe in something. He says, no, 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 I'm not talking about what we do as religious people. I'm talking about things that have happened, things that are being recorded, things in which there are eyewitnesses. Eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty. There's his purpose, the purpose for the, the whole gospel of Luke and every piece of the gospel of Luke. So you could say the, the purpose of the Christmas story is that we have certainty concerning the things that we have been taught. 
So Luke is, is who God is using to deliver this story to us. Since we're spending Christmas at his house for the next two months, I thought we might get a little introduction to Luke, know a little bit about who he is. Uh, first of all, Luke is a doctor. I don't know if you knew that about him. He is, he is a physician, a, a doctor. Now, don't think scrubs and a stethoscope around his neck and he's running through a hospital because uh, there is no hospital and there is no stethoscope and I'm confident he didn't wear scrubs. He didn't even go to medical school, y'all, as any of them did. You know, you know, a doctor at this time, which is similar, true to today, although it takes a whole bunch more, a doctor at this place in history, at this, in this time in, in human history, was somebody who cared about helping the sick. That they were dedicated to how can I help sick people? And there wasn't a lot of medicines really to refer to. There wasn't a lot of medical books. There was no training. As a matter of fact, their training would be that they got under somebody else who liked helping the sick. And I just learned from them. Now, similar to today, they often were more educated people. They could read. If you could read, you were an educated person at this time. They needed to be able to read, to do research. I mean, you come to, hey, doc, I've got a sore throat. Okay, well, he doesn't have anything to look inside me and see what's going on. So he's just going to go over here and look at the region. Okay, I've got 100 people here at a sore throat. For a bunch of them, this worked. And you just try this. And, and they're just accumulating data of people who had similar problems and what somebody else found help with. And, and that's what a doctor did. So they were good at research. They were good at gathering data. And historians, grammarians will look at how the gospel of Luke is written and point out it seems kind of clear this, this is a person who knows how to gather data, who knows how to do research and put it together in the word that Luke used in an orderly way. To put it together for a point, a, a purpose. So Luke is a doctor. Even more interesting than Luke being a doctor, Luke is a Gentile. That means he's not Jewish, and that means he is very rare. He is very unique because God used his people, the Jews, to give us the Scriptures. The, the writers of Scriptures are Jews until you come to Luke. And Luke is a Gentile. He is not a Jew. And as he writes, that seems to do two things to his writings, two kind of contradictory things. As he comes across something that's kind of Jewish in nature, if the Jewishness really helps you understand what is going on there, what the meaning is, then he's going to really unwrap that Jewishness. He's going to really explain it because he's sympathetic to the non-Jewish mind. The, the, the Jewish mind might think, oh, we all know this, and things we all know we don't explain. But Luke is thinking, no, we don't all know this. We don't all know that this is what Jewishness means here. And so he would really elaborate on that where in other places the writers didn't. But then there's times where the Jewishness doesn't, isn't necessarily important to the understanding of what is going on there. And there he'll leave it out altogether. I'm not going to take all the time with the Jewishness. Now, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all of the New Testament is written for Jew and Gentile. And they're all thinking about Jew and Gentile. But when I'm a Jew, I think like I'm a Jew. Luke is a Gentile. He thought like a Gentile. And he was sensitive 
to who he was writing to. And you see that in this gospel. And, and then lastly, another third kind of, I think, important thing to know about him. Luke is a missionary. Luke is a missionary. He travels around. He's constantly on the move. He was on a mission team. He didn't travel by himself. And uh, his team had a team leader. You might be familiar with him. He's the Apostle Paul. Luke and Paul worked together, traveled together. They were very close friends. And that would have brought Luke in contact with Mark, who also wrote a gospel. It would have brought him in contact with Peter and, and John, maybe brought him in contact with all of the apostles. But regardless of what apostles or not he met and was around, he was traveling from church to church, pastor to pastor, region to region. And remember, he's hearing. He he collects symptoms. He collects data. So he's hearing, hey, over here, they didn't even know about this part of the gospel. Over here, they did. Over here, they're kind of confused about this. Over here, they've heard about that. He knows, as he sits down to write the gospel, he knows what people have heard, what they've understood. And it's kind of in that mindset. It's kind of in that background that he says, I sat down to write an orderly account. I want to validate what they've learned, confirm what they've learned, correct what they've learned. I, I, I want to help them understand because I've, I've gotten the big picture. I've seen what believers all over are thinking and hearing. And as he sits down to write this, folks, we've got to remember there's a history here. Okay, he's not sitting down to write this in 2021 America thinking, oh, those religious people, they need a fun story this time of year. They need something they can decorate the yard with. They, they need something that'll kind of just, ooh, just believe and have a warm sentimentality. You know who he's writing for? He's writing for his friends. And he's watched his friends be arrested and tortured And he's watched many of his friends give their lives. He's been arrested and tortured. I assure you, Luke has no interest in writing for warm sentimentalities. He has no interest in writing for traditions to follow. He's writing so that those who are giving their lives are certain of what they've given their life for. He wants them to be certain and and it's in this world it's in this history that he says i want to give you accuracy now again folks when you and i read this when we're hearing this from the position of we're a major world religion we're we're a major world you know there's christianity and islam and judaism and buddhism i mean there's 3 4 5 we're the major world religions Okay, Luke wasn't writing to a major world religion. Luke was writing to a fledgling movement, a very small number of people that had political enemies on one hand, that had religious enemies on the other hand. And listen, if I stand up in a group of enemies and say, I'm all about accuracy, what have I just invited my enemies to do? (laughs) Just find out all the places I'm inaccurate Find out all the places that I'm just writing pure silliness or untruthfulness. See, remember, you and I, we're 2,000 years removed. And so we read this, and we weren't there. We don't know. We take some of these things. We take them by faith. 
But the people that Luke is writing to aren't taking anything by faith. They were there. They saw Jesus. They were there that weekend in Jerusalem. They were there on that side of the mountain. They were there up in Galilee. And so if, if these writers start writing things that are a lie, that are an exaggeration, that are making it mean something that Jesus didn't make it mean, there's enemies that were there to say, that's not true. That, that's, that's not true at all. Folks, things that are lies generally don't survive. So, so the scriptures that you hold today were not, were not formed by a group of people who just all love holy writings and need something for certain times of year. They were written and they survived the attack of people who didn't want others to believe in them. And if they had truth, if they had evidence that things were wrong here, they would have used that. They would have used that to poke the holes in it. But they were telling the truth. Luke is telling the truth about things that have happened. He says among those, those enemies, listen folks, don't read Luke. Don't read any of the Gospels. Don't read the New Testament as myths and fables for religious people and entertainment only. No, it is written for you, the individual believer. It's written for the church. It's written for the enemy. And Luke is saying, these are things that have happened. There are eyewitnesses. And if you've come to that faith and understanding, then as you read the gospel of Luke, your faith is going to be encouraged. It's going to be emboldened. It's going to be empowered. And if you've not come to that decision, then Luke says, hey, you know, these, these are truths. These are realities. You should look at this. You should make a decision about this. You should shape your life around this. And, and, and so Luke, Luke says here, uh, th- this is who he's writing to. And he says, I want to give you an orderly account. I want to give you an orderly account. Now, imagine Luke. He's sitting at his desk here. And uh, he doesn't have a computer, right? So he's got stacks of paper. He's got a stack of paper here that, that, that uh, this is the file on miracles of Jesus. And then he's got a stack of paper, a stack of stories on the teachings of Jesus. And then he's got a stack of the just stories about what Jesus was like, his character. And then he's got a stack of stories about individual interactions. And so he, he's got all these stories. And he's just going to, I'm going to use this one and I'm going to use that one. And he doesn't give us everything about the life of Christ. He doesn't show us every miracle. He doesn't show us every teaching. None of the Gospels do that. I, I think it's John in John chapter 20 that says, man, if I were to write everything that Jesus did, everything that he taught, take all the books of the world. So when we read a Gospel, we're not reading everything that happened. No Gospel says my purpose is to communicate everything that happened. No, his purpose is that you and I can look at this life, look at this baby in the manger, And come to the understanding that this is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. He is worthy of your faith. Now remember, when he says worthy of your faith, he's not talking about a belief at Christmas time. He's saying he's worthy of your faith and whatever that faith costs you. If it costs you your life, he's worthy of it. That, that's what he's trying to put together for us. That's the information, the data that he is collecting for you and me. And so he starts ordering this. I'm going to use this story. I'm going to use this teaching. And he's kind of putting it in an order here. You know, when you're reading a biography, you would kind of tend to think, 
Well, it's, it's kind of a chronological order, right? And when you look at Luke, I mean, what's page one? Jesus' birth. What's the last page? Death, burial, and resurrection. It seems like we're starting at day one and we're going to the end. When in actuality, Luke is not ordered chronologically. When you turn to Luke 1, when you get to Luke 3, you're not exactly necessarily advancing forward in time. This is not a presentation. This story happened on day 1. This story happened on day 2. This story happened on week 4. This story happened on month 6. Actually, the way he orders his stories is geographically. Not chronologically, but geographically. He moves from north to south. He moves from Galilee to Jerusalem. Now, right away, you should say, well, the first page is in Bethlehem. That's the southern part of Israel. Yeah, yeah. after he gets the birth story out there, and there's a couple of other little places where we shoot off, but generally speaking, when when you look at how Luke has laid out the gospel, it's going to be a movement from north to south, from Galilee to Jerusalem. And he's ordering all this in what's in his mind is that you would come to the place where you know Jesus Christ, not because you're religious people and you need something to believe in, not because you're religious people and we've got to have something to do for certain kinds of seasons. He's wanting you to come to an understanding that this babe in the manger is the son of the living God, worthy of your faith, whatever that faith costs you. And he says here I'm, he said he's writing to most excellent Theophilus. Boy, Theophilus, that's a name full, isn't it? I mean, if you're named Theophilus, you've got to live up to that name. You can't just show up and say, I'm Theophilus. Theophilus here is a name made up of two words, two Greek words, theos and phileo. Theos is the Greek word for God. Phileo is one of the words in the Greek language for love. That This name properly or literally interpreted means one who loves God. Now, with a name like that... No real surprise here. Somebody went, hey, wait a minute. Is Theophilus a real person? Or is that just in general the book is written to all who love God? That, that's a good question. So is he a real person or is it kind of written to all who love God? And the answer is, in my humble but almost always accurate opinion, <laughs> the answer is yes. I, I think it's both. I think Theophilus is a real person, and I think our God is super creative, and he can move somebody Theophilus, because that name's going to be kind of cool, and it's going to be to everybody. So, you know, just like you and I today, when we're writing a letter, there are forms to follow. As a matter of fact, our computer knows these forms, right? So if you just start with a blank piece of white paper, and you put T-O, and your next letter is a W, guess what's going to come up? To whom it may concern. Your, your computer is going to think you're writing a letter, you're following a form, and it'll start filling it in for you. Isn't that nice? Okay, now, it, it, Luke doesn't have that. But guess what? In ancient times, in ancient writings, there was forms they followed. Just like we got a date and an address and a to whom or a dear sir, dear madam. Just like we have all these forms, so does ancient writings. And, and the, the, the form these first four verses hold, when you come to Theophilus, there's a blank right there. Insert name here. And in, in, in ancient writings, the name that would have gone right there is the patron, the underwriter. You say, what's a patron? What's an underwriter? It's the dude that paid the bills. 
He is writing the Theophilus who more than likely supported, kind of underwrote this project of all of the work it took to research and bring the data together and write the gospel of Luke. So he writes this to Theophilus, a real person, but as I said, God sent the Holy Spirit over to get Theophilus, inspire him to do this so that we could use his name, because guess what? The gospel of Luke ultimately isn't from Luke, and it ultimately isn't to a person named Theophilus. It's from God, and it's written to all of us who love God. And and Theophilus is actually who this, not only the gospel of Luke is written to, but also Acts, the, the, the book of Acts, which follows John, because Luke wrote the gospel of Luke and he wrote Acts. He wrote the gospel of Luke to introduce us to the Christ, and he wrote the book of Acts to introduce us to the church. And, and so he gives us this, I'm writing this to all of you who love God, why? So that you have warm, fuzzy feelings at Christmas. No, so that you can be certain of what you know. Think of the context he's writing that. In our context, certain of what you know almost sounds like an academic statement. To the people he's writing to, there's nothing academic about it. You realize at the time he wrote this, almost everybody that would pick this gospel up, if they've not been in prison, they have a friend or a family member that's been imprisoned. They know somebody who's given their life because they said, I believe in Jesus. That's the kind of certainty that he's seeking to give you and me. And so he says here, we see these words accurate and excellent. As Luke gives us this gospel, as he gives us the Christmas story, he is committed to accuracy and excellence. You know, that's the Christian life, isn't it? The Christian life, whether I'm at work or in a relationship or raising kids or resting or doing my hobby, it's a commitment to excellence. There's a watching world. The Christian life is a life committed to excellence. Luke is a believer who's doing nothing more than what Christians do. He's doing something with a commitment to excellence, our faith should be a commitment to excellence. Our worship should be a commitment to excellence. Our service should be a commitment to excellence. Our learning about the Lord should be a commitment to excellence. Is that the word you would use for what's going on in your life? Something to think about. Hey, what if our Christmas was committed to excellence? A Christmas committed to excellence. Now, what does that mean? I'm not sure, but it sounds cool, doesn't it? You know, I doubt any of us have ever said, boy, I want an excellent Christmas this year. But maybe here's something we have said. Boy, I sure want this to be a special Christmas. I I bet you almost every one of us at one Christmas, maybe many Christmases, have said that. Maybe family is gathering. Maybe it's just been an awful year. And, and, you know, as, as Christmas is coming, we do this, I think, I, I mean, I suppose somebody has said, I really want this to be a special July 4th. I really want this to be a special Labor Day. Maybe, but, but you can count almost everybody has said, I want Christmas to be special. Why, why this one holiday do we want to be special? Is it in our DNA? Even the DNA of the unbeliever? That there's something about this that needs to be special. Now, what 
what do we do to make it special? You know, there's not a formula. You know, hey, you want to make this Christmas special? Oh, well, go get this book, and it'll tell you one, two, and three, and that's what you do. No, we're all going to approach this very personal to ourselves and to our our homes. And so I think, oh, if it's going to be a special Christmas, we're going to make these cookies. Because these cookies is what makes... Christmas special. If we're going to make Christmas special, boy, I'm going to be sure we do this particular family tradition. Well, if we're going to make Christmas special, we're going to go here and we're going to have this experience. And we will put in our mind two, three, four different things in our attempt, right, to make Christmas really special this year. Hey, listen, I'm, I'm as committed to a, a special Christmas as anybody. I'm, I'm as committed to excellent cookies and excellent gifts and excellent memories as, as anybody out there. I, I, like I said, I love this time of season. You know, I found as I get, as I'm getting older, and maybe it's not as much my age as just my family being scattered, I have found I'm more committed to memories than I ever have been before. I, every time, Lord, I, you know, I pray that pray we, when we leave on the 26th, on the 29th, on the 2nd, man, I pray everybody's just filled with fresh and good memories. Because our memories is our bond. Our, our memories is what makes us us. If, if, the, if all those memories are gone, we're not us anymore. You know, what makes the Hans the Hans? Man, it's our shared memories. It's our, our shared stories. So we all know what it means. I want, I want the cookies. I want the gifts. I want the memories. Well, what if we just added to that? This is a little caveat here. We take Luke. Hey, God, would you give me the spirit of Luke? That wants an excellence in those, in those cookies, in those experiences and gifts, and in those memories. Well, what, what does that even mean? Well, maybe it just means adding the idea, hey, when we're eating the cookies and when we're opening the gifts and when we're going through those traditions and creating those memories, God, would you guide, provide a way, use me so that in all of those normal things, I'm communicating Christ. And we leave, when we leave on the 26th, the 29th, the 2nd, not only do we have some great stories, but we are more certain than ever before about who that baby is in the manger. I think more than anything in the world right now that America needs is a group of people not gathering around sentimentalities and traditions, but a group of people who are more devoted, more committed, more certain than ever before about who that baby is in the manger. God, would you use my Christmas and my desire for it to be a great Christmas to communicate that? How am I going to do that? You're going to figure it out for you and your home. You earn your life the way you do a special Christmas. I think it starts, though, with prayer. I think it starts with a desire. And I assure you, that is a prayer and that is a desire that God wants to answer. Amen? Let's pray. Father, as we bow before you in this moment with the scriptures open in front of us, 
May we realize, may we remember, may we understand that the Christmas story didn't come to a group of people that were looking for it, for a world that was looking for a neat story to build a holiday around. It didn't come to a group of people that had a a belief, just belief. And it didn't matter if it matched truth and reality. This story came to a group of people that were giving their lives, that were being arrested, that were being tortured. They needed to be certain that what they were doing was right. It was good. They needed to be certain you were worth it. Lord, I would, I would pray for each of us here now, each one watching online. Lord, we're, we're looking in verses that we're, so many of us, we're so familiar with these verses that when we start to read them, we just turn our brain off because we already know what they're going to say. We already know what this page is about. God, I ask that you would open these verses up in a new, in a fresh, in a life-changing way for each and every one of us as we work our way through. May we understand and realize you gave us this story so we could be more certain. We could be more certain of who this baby is and all that he is worthy of. Oh, Lord, I pray that is what is produced throughout this congregation. I pray that is what is produced in me. A greater understanding and certainty of all that you are worthy of and a readiness to give it. I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.